Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. What's good? It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to Hello Latino. Meet Dr. Janire Flores, a proud Venezuelan who is truly a world citizen. You'll hear more about that in this episode. Throughout her career, Janire has held a variety of roles in technical services, innovation, product development, and marketing, and now serves as a global marketing manager for energy. In this episode, you'll hear about Janita's experience being a Latina immigrant, navigating her career as a brown woman, and ultimately what led her in choosing herself and experiencing a toxic workplace. Let's jump into it. Oficial. <laughs> How are you, amiga? I'm so I'm so grateful that you're here and grateful that we get to share the space again. And now you being on Hello Latina. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Odalis. I am so excited to talk to you. Um, I just, you know, I, I love everything that you're doing. And so it really is an honor to, again, uh, get to share a platform with you and talk a little bit about our lives and our stories. Yes, ma'am. Let's jump into it. I want to start with how do you identify and why? 100% Venezuelan. And I think I owe, I will always identify it as Venezuelan first. Um, and I grew up in Venezuela and lived in Venezuela until I was almost 18. So for me, there's really no, no, no um, confusion uh, uh, as to where, how I identified. And then after that, once I'm in the world, right, that once I, I left my country, I totally identified as a Latina and I'm very proud of it, you know. So she, her, Latina all the way, but initially 100% from Venezuela and then embracing my Latinidad because I know that um, we just have to be welcoming of each other and we, we have so many more similarities and differences and there's power in numbers. So I'm happy to, to also identify it as a Latina. I love that. And I love that you're owning... The Latinidad, right? The the identity of just being part of a, a bigger cultural movement. Can you tell me about your immigration story? Because I think we we've talked about it just a little bit, but I want to hear I want to hear the deeper story, the full story. What's what's the immigration journey from Venezuela to the United States? Yeah, so it it has a a, a stop in between. <laughs> so I I mentioned I lived in Venezuela until I was eighteen and. Uh, I grew up there doing sports. I did gymnastics and diving, and I was pretty pretty good at it. <laughs> um, and I always used to watch the NCAA competitions on TV. And as a little girl, I would be like, you know, jumping on my on the sofa in our living room and pretending that I was a beam and doing like cartwheels on the beam, watching uh, the NCAA competitions. And I always said, you know, I wanna. 
I want to get to the States and I want to do gymnastics in the States. And so that was always a goal. And then for me, it was when I was like, you know, 13, 14, how can I go study abroad? How can I, you know, do it like an exchange program in the U.S.? And I tried, and, but um, my family, I mean, we were privileged, but we didn't have a lot of money. Like, we were not millionaires. So it was not as easy as I thought it was just going to be to apply for, for, like, an exchange program. And so we applied with one for the Rotary Club, and we didn't get it. But at the same time, my dad uh, was a university professor, and he was talking to a another colleague of his, and he said, the colleague said, you know, my daughter is also looking at studying abroad, and she heard about this opportunity that's called the United World Colleges. And so the United World Colleges are a, a group of high schools. They're called colleges because they're overseas mostly, but it's a group of high schools where people when they're like 16 to 18, they can apply for a scholarship and then they can join one of, now it's almost 18 schools all over the world. And so I was like, wow, this sounds good. It's one more year than I thought I was going to do, but you know, hey, you know, let's just try it. I don't know what's going to happen. And so after a pretty rigorous selection process that lasted almost like four, six months, I got a scholarship to go to a place I had never ever imagined living <laughs> and it's a country that it's called Eswatini it's, uh, it's called the kingdom of Eswatini in southern Africa um, wow. so when you see when you see the map of southern Africa yet the lower part of the African continent you see South Africa is huge right mm -hmm. and then on the east side you see this like kind of long country that's called um, Mozambique and then in between those two, there's two little tiny dots that are completely landlocked. <laughs> one of them is Lesotho, and then the other one is Eswatini. Um, so that's where I went. I went there, I think it was January of 2005 is when I got to, to Eswatini. I lived there for two years. Um, that's where I did, essentially redid my two last years of high school mm. at the school there. And then uh, because we were doing the IB diploma, the International Baccalaureate Diploma, there was this wealthy donor from the United States that established um, partnerships with universities in the United States. So if you did well and you got accepted into one of these, say, about 50 universities, in the US, um, then he they would help you cover um, almost all of the uh, of the tuition and the fees and board and room and, and everything. So wow. that's essentially how I eventually made it to the US. And so I moved to Florida, to the University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida in 2007. Uh, August of 2007. Wow. I Can I dive deep into this story, you in high school being in this little small place called Eswatini? Am I saying it right? Yeah. Tell mm -hmm. me about that experience. I mean, I never left the country until I was probably about 18. So I was still young. And that was mm -hmm. the first time I left. Mm -hmm. Actually, I lied. I was about 21 when I left the country for the first time. And I fell in love with it. Like, can you tell me about yeah. you being so young and having this opportunity to go to a whole different place? Tell me about it. Tell me how it changed your life. Yeah. 
it it completely changed my life. It was one of those experiences where um, I wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't had that experience. I wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't that that experience. And essentially, so I got there when I was still pretty young. So I, I would just turn, I got there in January, uh, towards the end of January. And then I turned 18 in March, at the end of March. And every experience at that point, it was like a life-changing experience. Uh, the first thing that I remember is that um, at the time when I left Venezuela, there was we were living under an exchange control for the U.S. dollar. And because I wasn't 18 yet, I didn't have like a bank account that I could use overseas. So my dad sent me with $5,000 for two years all the cash in my socks, my bags, oh my, <laughs> my little, you know, kangaroo fanny pack that I had. And I remember my mom telling me, um, yeah, no, no te quedes dormida, no te vayas a quedar dormida esperando el avión. But I had a 12-hour layover in Brazil. <laughs> y, vos, y vos así como, okay, no me duermo, no me duermo. Yeah, no te duermo. <laughs> Mi mamá dijo que no me podía quedar dormida. And I was like, man, I can't do this. So I found a little place and then like I hugged everything I had. And I was like, okay, if anybody tries to steal something from me, I hope I can feel it, right. <laughs> you know. But I think that was like the, the, like the first story is just getting there was hard. And I spent... I had a good foundation of English, but I wasn't fluent yet mm -hmm. in English. So it was hard at the beginning because everybody seemed to just have a much better English than me. Everybody just seemed to be like, you know, like fit in writing. And I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing out here. Mm -hmm. It's an international school. So we had people from really all over the world, a whole bunch of Europeans, uh, a lot of people from the African continent, which was amazing mm -hmm. because I had never had exposure to that. Um, and then we had only a few Asians. We didn't have many uh, Asians in, in the school, but we had some. And I do remember one time, it was like, this is probably maybe a week into it. And we went into this excursion at a national park and we went hiking and we did an entire day out. It was super fun. And then at like four or five, it was time to do a barbecue and just eat. And I was so exhausted from just trying to speak English for an entire day. And I just sat in the corner and I took my burger and I just sat down and I was like, I'm going to take a time to relax. And this guy comes over and he sits right next to me. And his name is Tato. He's one of my best friends now. He's from South Africa. And I was really quiet and he started talking to me. And eventually I like started a conversation with him and then I was just talking I just talked and talked to him for like 45 minutes and then I was like six months later I asked him I was like that's what my English was so broken like how do you understand everything I was saying and he's like I didn't but you were really happy to talk so, <laughs> so I didn't really have to talk much <laughs> that is so cute you know that reminds me of yeah. I have to give some love to uh, my current manager now He's Brazilian and he, he always says like his English is good, but it's like he gets exhausted and then he just doesn't want to speak English anymore. Um, and mm -hmm. we had this two week trip and by what, by the nighttime, he was just super ultra quiet and he's a very loud person. So I was like, is everything okay? Mm -hmm. He's like, I just don't want to speak English right now. He's like, I just need a, 
a little break. He's like, my English is not good looking yeah. when <laughs> when the night falls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty exhausting, especially when you're learning and like you're very like getting immersed in a day to day speaking English. It's like at the end of it, you're like burnt out and it's like, yeah. I'm trying to say something, but it doesn't come out the yeah. right way. <laughs> but you know what I love about this story of you following up with your friend and saying, like, how did you understand me? And he's like, I did it, but it was so you were just so happy. And I he like let you have that space. I think people who struggle with having an accent and I think about people like my mom, it really gets to them and they feel very self-conscious, very insecure. Mm -hmm. And I always have to remind my mom how beautiful her accent is. And I'm like, you don't have to know, you know, perfect English. Like, look at Sofia Vergara. She's famous and she has her accent. Yeah. You know, I always remind her that yeah. accents are beautiful. Is that something that you had to overcome throughout your experience of speaking English and being very much more comfortable in Spanish? Yeah, I'm. So I think the one thing that I always had going for me is that I didn't really care too much if people like, I don't know if it was like, I didn't care if people didn't understand or I was like, you know, like, whatever, I'm just going to go out there. I have to speak no matter what. But I, I did notice, especially during that time, uh, my very, the, the closest friends at the very beginning were a girl from Germany, a girl from France, a girl from Italy, and then myself. Mm -hmm. And not, the German girl probably spoke the best English out of the four of us. And we would hang out, especially during the first months. And we would always hang out and we would always be speaking English because that was the only language that we had in common. And even, even though our English was broken, we always understood each mm -hmm. other. Always. And then we would go like leave the room where we were and then go and talk to other people. And then whenever we had to speak to native English speakers, it was like, nobody could understand what we were saying. And I was like, what, like, what is going on? Right? Like they wouldn't, like they wouldn't get what we were saying. And I noticed it was a lack of trying from the other side, from the native English speaker, because, okay, granted, if everybody's going to speak English to you, then you don't really have a lot of opportunities to try and fine tune and to like try to open up your ears so that you can try and understand and make an yeah. effort But really the difference was that people weren't open to making an effort to mm. try to understand what somebody else was saying in English. Yeah. And for me, that was always the one thing that stuck with me from that time is that first of all, having an accent is beautiful because it means that you're speaking more than one language and it means that you're making an effort that not everybody has to make. That's one. And the other thing is that when I hear with somebody that has an accent, I make every effort I can to try and understand what they're saying and to try to make it a welcoming environment for them, mm -hmm. something that encourages them to continue talking and to continue practicing because, I mean, my English is much better now. Um, I do have this kind of Like, depending on who I'm talking, I, I like I have like a different little accent. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's a bit of like South African accent that goes in there with Spanish and everything else. Um, but but it is when I started, it was not like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was a lot of people that were patient that just wanted to help me go through it. And then that's only that's the only way I, I um, made it a little better. But no, I mean, 
I love every time, like you're saying, every time somebody has an accent, it's about celebrating it yeah. and, and not feeling self-conscious about it at all. And there is, and, and you just telling me right now that when you speak English, there's like a little bit of South African and there's a little bit of Spanish. It almost like accents tell a story, right? Accents tell a story about where you've been, where you come from. And it's, it's beautiful because it's part of our identity. It's part of who we are. Even, I mean, I was just watching a a TikTok of Romeo Santos, beautiful man. And he (laughs) was, he was being interviewed and he had this like New York accent and the comments on TikTok, everyone was saying, oh my God, the New York accent. And it just shows even in, and I'm sure it happens in Venezuela as well, but depending the accent, the way you say things, Mm -hmm. how you say things, it shows where you come from. It shows where you've been. And so I I love this, this story and this narrative around your accent is part of your identity too. Oof. Absolutely. And like one of my favorite games to play internally, if like in my mind is whenever I hear somebody speak English, I can, you know how we can tell that there's like a Spanish accent uh-huh. on the other yeah, side, yeah. right? Like you speak English with a little bit of Sp- like Spanish accent. But my, my favorite game is trying to figure out where from Latin America are they <laughs> while they're speaking English, right? Uh, so sometimes you can tell, mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes I can tell Colombians. Um, I can almost always tell Venezuelans because we have a, like a very a particular way, yeah. at like English accent. <laughs> and... um the I struggle I like I cannot differentiate pre- people from like Argentina and Uruguay because mm, those are very like I can't fine tune those, yeah. But but that's my favorite game. It's like somebody's speaking English, they have an accent. Okay, where in Latin right. America are you from? <laughs> yeah, I wish I have I have this game that I would do with ERGs. So for Hispanic Heritage Month, as a way to celebrate Latinidad, I would play this game with ERGs at the very beginning. It's called Guess the Accent. And I played a, an accent for like 10 seconds and they had to guess what the accent was. Y uno son bien fáciles, right? Like, oh, Cubano. It, you can easily tell that mm-hmm. it's a Cuban accent or Mexican. And then I start playing like Peruvian accent and start playing a Chilean accent, a Honduran accent. And they were like, get? But then you would get people here and there from Central America. They would recognize the Honduran accent or someone from... South America, they would recognize the Colombian accent. And it was just a fun game to show we're all Latinos, but this is all of the different sazones and flavors that even our voice and our accent show. And it's hermoso and beautiful. One of my favorite parts. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about you going to South Africa and then coming to the States. Like, you had been in one different type of world, environment, culture, so young, and then going to the States. Yeah. What was that experience like? Because, I mean, how do you how do you even define that, like, double immigrant? I would see it as a double immigrant. <laughs> yeah, it is, right? <laughs> Second immigration. Second immigration. <laughs> yeah. Um, listen, I loved being in, in my little school in South Africa, uh, in Southern Africa, not in South Africa, in Eswatini. Oh. Um. I made the best friends there. They became my my family away from home because I didn't have a mom and dad, you yeah. know. So we were in a boarding school, and they they whenever <clears throat> we had a fever, 
you know, people had four different home remedies from four oh, different countries. That. And then they were me like, <laughs> oh my God, he has to tell me what yeah. the remedies were. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're so weird. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I tell you, like there's there was this one, one friend of ours, Kelly, she's from the Cayman Islands. She had a pretty high fever. So I was like, oh, my mom always uses a little towel and she dips it in like room temperature well, water and she puts it on my forehead. So I did I that. See. And then another friend is like, oh, we always co- always cover our feet. So let's put socks on ah. her. And so somebody <laughs> covered her feet. <laughs> and so that was like kind of counterproductive. But I was like, okay, we were all trying to that help anyway. That is so cute. <laughs> so that was a, a, a beautiful experience. And the one thing that I did miss was having other Latin people with me. Mm. Because in my particular school, we didn't have a lot of people from Latin America. So I wouldn't, I only had one friend from Venezuela, another Venezuelan, and one guy from Spain. And those were the only two people that spoke Spanish in a school of 500 people. Wow. Wow. So even though I loved everything else, like I still missed having to, like having the opportunity to speak Spanish, dance salsa, merengue, you know, just be yourselves. I really miss that. So when I went when I went to look for schools and say, you know, where do I want to go and study in the US, my very first criteria was I want to go to a place where there's a lot of Latin people. Uh, That's where I want to go, <laughs> you know, so that I can have that opportunity to just celebrate my culture, to live my culture every yeah. day because for me that's really important. And so it was like, I think I, I looked at UCLA maybe, but I mostly looked at UF because they also had a good diving team. And I wanted to go back after two years, trying to get back into my diving career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I essentially made it to UF. I got accepted. And then Shelby Davis, who is the uh, philanthropist in the US, um, I was a part of the, the Shelby Davis scholarships. So they paid for everything. So that made wow. me extremely privileged, right? And and then when I got to Florida, it was, it's funny because I, I remember this now. Um, I first got there and I, I had my group of these friends from the international school from UWC because there was uh, maybe 12 of us that started at the same time. Nice. And then there were previous years of people. So we had that community going. They were super helpful. We were like, you know, because we were all used to being in that UWC environment, we just brought that UWC environment to UF. Mm-hmm. But then I also had the diving team. And I I wasn't able to understand what was happening back then, but I do now. And then I remember I joined the diving team. Nobody knew who I was because I sort of just said, hey, by the way, I'm going to UF and I am able to jump off the 10-meter platform. So if you have me on your team, you yeah. know, like <laughs> if you let me go, like I can, I can do something, right? And so the coach was like, who is this girl? I don't know. <laughs> And then when I finally was able to like show him a few videos and, and and show him what I could do, he was like, wow, I mean, great. Yes, come over. But the team, the the diving team was all white people. All oh, of wow. them. All of them were white people. And so I never understood why I didn't click, why I didn't like I never felt part of the team. In fact, I quit the team um, just before the end of my of my freshman year because I never felt that connection 
and also because I wanted to eventually stop diving. But and like if I wanted to quit diving and I, I didn't have a community, you know, there was no community there for me to keep me in the diving team. I never mm -hmm. felt like I was part of it. And I remember I was thinking about this and then one of, I don't know what was happening, it's close to May, I suppose. And then uh, one of the girls in the team is like, hey, Jenny, like, what are you going to do for Cinco de Mayo? And I was like, ma, like, what's happening on Cinco de Mayo? And then she goes, um, oh, it's Mexicans Independence Day. And I was like, well, I'm not Mexican, <laughs> one. <laughs> And two, um, is it really? I don't think it's Mexican Independence Day. It's like, oh. <laughs> and so I mean that that was pretty much how wow. like what it was. I mean they had no idea really where I was from, and then I I really felt not connection, um, and no effort to really try to understand where I was coming yeah. from. So yeah, I mean I think that's I mean that's a common theme right now in our conversation is the effort, right? The effort to get to know. Mm -hmm. And I always say I don't know if we're ever gonna solve this diversity and inclusion problem that a lot of these companies are still companies, not just companies, world is still having. Because mm -hmm. I think it starts with you said be putting in effort, being curious and being empathetic mm -hmm. that you don't understand someone else's journey, but you can listen to their story. You can listen to their experience. You can right. ask them questions instead of assuming, hey, you speak Spanish or whatever. Are you going to celebrate Cinco de Mayo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't feel that connection. And I, I, I just empathize with you so much and just being so young and feeling like, Puchica, like I don't fit in here. Like I just, this is not yeah. where I see myself. Mm -hmm. At any point, did you feel like you were changing who you were to fit in to that place mm -hmm. and to that community? Um, I I don't think so. Um, and I think partly what what made it really um bearable to me is that. You know, we were just diving, essentially. So we would spend some time together. But me in particular, I would only spend time with a team when we were diving or when we went to a competition. And then when I wasn't in the swimming pool, I spent time with my friends from UWC. And they really were my community, right? And so even though, like, one of my best friends is from Latvia, and I knew nothing about Latvia, she, and then... This is a really funny story. She decided that she wanted to he to learn Spanish, and then she enrolled in Spanish classes. And then maybe you're familiar with this, but she said, "Hey Jenny, to practice my Spanish, I'm learning. I'm watching all the episodes from Marimar. Ah. Have you seen that soap opera? <laughs> oh, me encanta, like, me encanta." <laughs> So um, that was really the spirit of this other group of people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we were all from different countries. I had like a couple of friends from Palestine. And that was the first time I ever heard about Ramadan. And I would see them. It was really funny because we would go out for like Latin night at the clubs. And we would come back at like 2.30 because the clubs would close at 2 in the morning. <laughs> and then during Ramadan, like uh, my my friend would drop me off and my my Muslim friends would be eating. 
and at like 2, 2.30 so that they can get enough calories for the rest of the day. And I was like, oh, okay. So I would just sit there with them while they were having their meal. And I was like, well, I have some time to uh, spare mm -hmm. and I want to hear about your stories. And so um, I think for me, that's why, like, I, I mean, there were things I changed, I adapted, I, I had the opportunity, like, I knew that for me, it wasn't always going to be taking everybody to the club to dance salsa, right. right? So in that way, like I adapted and I changed just to understand that if we are a group of people that we're all different, yes, maybe one day we can go dance salsa, <laughs> but then one day we do something else that other people want to do and share with the with the community. So that's how I I didn't change who I was who I yeah. was when I was in the diving team, but that also made it harder. Because I never fit, you know, I essentially I never really fit in that team. And then when I quit, I was like, I didn't stay in touch with anybody, mm. not with one of them. It was seven. We spent like nine months together. None of them are my friends today. So wow. from there, from from UF, I, um, I, I went to UF. I studied abroad for like about six months. I went to Vienna for six months and really the plan there was to visit all my friends from Eswatini that now went back home and to older to older countries. So I spent like four months doing research in Vienna, which was beautiful, amazing, gorgeous. Uh, and then I just spent the rest of the time backpacking uh, to go visit my friends. So mostly I would go to a place where I knew somebody and I stayed at their house and or their apartment and I just spent my, my summer essentially in 2011 doing that. And then I went to grad school. Uh, so back into like the immigration story, right? When I was in, in, in college, I was an, uh, on a visa, on a student visa, an F1 visa. Yeah. And so that meant that I either had to continue studying or I could probably apply for an OPT or CPT, I can't remember what they're called. So they are extensions of your visa that allow you to work in, in the U.S. But I was I only had a bachelor's in chemistry, and I found it really hard to get an internship where everybody else that I knew was getting internships, going working and everywhere. Oh, yeah. I was, like, struggling. I wouldn't get an internship. I applied for an internship at Procter & Gamble. I didn't get it. I applied to work for Teach for America because they would uh, offer visas and extensions for of the visa. Um, I didn't get mm -hmm. it. So I was like struggling a little bit, trying to find a job. Um, and so I said, well, I mean, eventually I'm just going to have to go to grad school because that is the only way that once I get a PhD, then it will be a little easier for a company to sponsor my mm -hmm. visa and then for me to be able to work. So that's what I did. I, I applied for my PhD, but I, I didn't really want to go anywhere that was cold. <laughs> so I, like any of the northern right. states were out of, out of the, <laughs> you know, my, my advisor said, go to Minnesota. And I was like, no. <sighs> That is too cold. <laughs> this rancor cannot be there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, lo siento. Um, so I ended up at Texas A&M, which is um, in College Station. It's a, a little town, college town in between Austin, Dallas, and Houston. So if that is those three are a triangle, then College Station is almost in the middle. Yeah. 
And the one thing that I forgot this time, because I was in, in, in Gainesville with my Latin friends, with my community, and I was just living my life, I forgot to be very intentional about having a Latin community that I could, you know, jump into and try to make friends yeah. with. So when I then moved to College Station, I was like, man, what is this? Mm. You know, I remember I was coming from Vienna, which is gorgeous, all these palaces and all these places. And then I flew into Austin and drove to College Station. And the first thing that you see when you're driving to College Station is University Avenue. And there's this a place that's called the Dixie Chicken that is like it's like a movie of the wild wild west and they they have the, like the bouncing doors that open like this and i was like oh my gosh what did i do like where am i going like i don't know what this place is oh, like um so i felt like speedy gonzalez <laughs> was going to come out <laughs> you're so and funny I was for like, that wow <laughs> This just looks like the set but. of Speedy Gonzalez. Like, I'm just going to say this. Like, this is what it looks yeah. like. Um, but, I mean, I guess in that place, I think the one thing that I didn't think about was that I needed to have a Latin community to connect. And in the chemistry department, there were, like, three Latinas. Everybody else was white. Um, every Yeah, I mean, everybody else was white. There was only one or two students that were black. Mm. And then, then was when, you know, those were the only friends I had from the beginning. And that's when I maybe found myself changing a little bit. So if I only had that group of friends and like they would go up to get together, they would play board games. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, why don't we go dancing? <laughs> like, you know. Oh my God, you are, you are literally, I'm sorry. I have to, I have to tell you this story about board games because I have never met so many people in my life that loved board games, except for when I was in college. And I remember going to playing this game, con guaritos, and I, there's certain words that yo lo digo con un acento, like for example, Salmon. For the longest time, I would say salmon mm -hmm. porque se dice salmón, right? Like, yeah. Obvio. <laughs> yeah. And we were playing a board game, and era como a spelling. I don't even know what game it was, pero yo digo, oh, salmon. And they were like, what? And I was like, salmon? Y empecé así como, like, am I saying mm -hmm. it wrong? Yeah. Y te uh -huh. pones como self-conscious, right? And they were yeah. like, you mean salmon? And I was like, Yeah. And then this woman tells me, oh, is it because you're an ESL student? And I, la miré así como, yeah, yeah, I was an ESL student, actually. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, bye. But that was yeah. the worst yeah. board game experience. But that's so funny you mentioned that because the whole time I was thinking, yeah. why am I here? Why can't we do something fun and inclusive where I'm not struggling to say these words? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I felt like that so many times now. I was like, well, I guess the, if you're my only friends, I, I'll suck it up, you yeah. know. But I do. We, I did have a, this one friend from Greece who had just joined, and she was in the same boat, right? Like she's like, why are these people always buy like playing board games? You know. So she, her, and I connected because we were like, oh yeah, I mean, let's just like find an inclusive. Uh, hangout activity where we can just be ourselves and enjoy yeah. each other's yeah. company. Uh, 
But then I found my Venezuelan friends, and then I forgot about everybody <laughs> else. I was like, sorry, You're I like, found oh my, my community. <laughs> How did you find that community? <laughs> How did you find that community? Because I think it's for anyone that's listening, that's in this part of their life that they're trying to find. You're like, oh, your vibe attracted tribe, right? Like if there is folks right now listening that yeah. are really trying to find community and find people that they can really just sit back, let their shoulders relax and be themselves with. Like, how did you find that community of Venezuelans? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... It was through my Greek friend, actually, mm-hmm. because she then met another girl from was from Greece also, and then went out to a bar or something, and she's like, oh, hey, I met this guy from Venezuela the other day when I was out with Nefeli. And I was like, what? Venezuelans? Okay, <laughs> like, take me. <laughs> Let me go with you right. next time, <laughs> you know? And so it was really being intentional, mm-hmm. being understanding that whatever I had with that group of friends, even though they were really supportive, even though they were really good people, it was not the group that I felt comfortable with, right? And so I was very intentional reaching out uh, to my Greek friend and saying, hey, how, how can I connect? And then I found the guy and I was like, oh, we actually met three months earlier, but I didn't get your number. So can we go out for a coffee? And then they started saying, oh, yeah, let's go, you know, watch the soccer game uh, at this place. Other Venezuelans are going to come. And it was just really intentional of, of trying to put myself out there. Right. And and I don't click with all Venezuelans. That's also true. Yeah. You know, it's not because they're Venezuelan. We, we have the same values or like everything. We're aligned everywhere. Um, but it it was just having that cultural understanding, just being able to share the same activities, that really made a difference. And eventually it was a little group of about six or five or six people that there were two couples and then my friend Francisco, my friend Patricia and myself. So that's seven. And, And we became friends then and we've been friends ever since. And now most of us live in Houston now. And they're our family. You know, we go to their kids' birthday parties. We make up birthday parties so that we can all get together. <laughs> um, and essentially, they, they were the people that are now my family in the U.S. Mm. And so it was it was being intentional and then reaching out and then understanding that if you don't feel comfortable, like you don't have to get there, you will mm. You will find your people. You just have to put a little effort into it. I love that. I want to transition from you living this life of traveling and being a world citizen to now starting a podcast called Latinx Can, because it sounds like from your story, you're really big on community, on being intentional. And I know that was probably a big part of starting this podcast as well. Let's let's go into our cafecito and cheese portion where you talk about what you're doing now, what you're building now, and start with what's the what's the story, the origin story behind Latinx Can Podcast. Yeah, so Latinx Can Podcast started uh, when I essentially it didn't start at the same time, but it came from me stepping out of the bubble of academia and then jumping into corporate America, mm. and um. The first, like, I, 
I'm going to preface this saying that the company I ended up working for after having to marry my Puerto Rican uh, husband so that I could get a green card and then get a job uh, because that company specifically wouldn't even consider my application if I didn't have a green card. Um, They sold it really well, though. They sold their company as like this multinational company that was in all over the world, that we had over 115,000 people And we're really looking for diverse talent. We want people that look different from different places. And I'm a chemist in a PhD chemist, right? So I have a brown hair. I look brown. You can either say I'm Latina or sometimes people, when they don't know about other Latin people, they say that I'm maybe from India. Um, But if you put me on a picture, you're going to know that I'm not white, essentially, Right. right? So then when I, and so then I'm, I'm Latina and I'm a chemist, so I'm in the science, I'm in the STEM field. And it was like, when I joined the company, I probably ticked all of the diversity boxes, right? And they were like, yes, we want people that think different. People in your program are going to be these people that are going to change things. We need people, we need diverse points of view. And I was like, amazing. Oh, like, I'm like nervous for this story. I'm like cringing. <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> um, so I started working in my first rotation because I had to change every eight months. It was in Detroit. And um, I started working the first couple of weeks were fine and then um I've always been like you know like if something is not working like I'm gonna try and change it but I started realizing that people didn't react well when I asked questions like in like I didn't know I, I like I learned English by studying right like I didn't I didn't learn this like subtext that or, or like um, Caucasian way of speaking English. I just learned my my own way through going to college, right? So whenever I would ask a question, I would ask why or like what's the point of that? Like very direct, right? Like I didn't know how how to say like, oh, interesting. Like, can you help me understand how you arrived at that conclusion? I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to say that. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that I had to say that something like that so either. Funny. <laughs> Oh my and God. so like, you know, like I felt like I was doing good work, but it was a little boring. And so I talked to my manager, like I had two managers and I said, okay, well, like, you know, this is a little boring. So my HR manager is like, okay, well, talk to your other manager, your assignment manager. And so I started talking to her and then maybe like four or five months into it, I started getting feedback uh, that I was like too close minded that I I wasn't open to other people's opinions, that I, um, like all this kind of feedback that, that was just like really odd for me because I was like, listen, I know that I am I'm assertive and, you know, I just went through a PhD program. And so if I feel comfortable that I know the answer of this technical problem, I'm not going to minimize myself. I've never had to do that. I've never done it. Like, I didn't know that women did that. Um, And so I was like, I'm not going to shy myself. I'm not going to sell myself short. And then, like, after that, like, six, eight months, I I got all this feedback. And I was like, man, like, is it really me? Like, because this is not the first place where I work in a a 
diverse environment, right? This is not the first place that I'm not working in my own country. Like um, I've been to, I've been to a few places all over the world where I have to work with other people, and I've never got something like this. So I turned around and I was like, "Oh, let me ask other Latinas," and there were none. Like there was nobody else, right? The only other Mexican person was a technician that had been working in the company for 25 years. Like that person was amazing and he was super supportive and helped me learn a lot of things, but he didn't like, um, he didn't like had any tools for me. And so we said, well, okay, like I, I got really bad feedback and I almost got fired and I didn't get fired because I asked for help to another white girl and that white girl like knew all about organizational politics and she's like, no, this is what you're going to do. And so she helped me put together my presentation that I had to do and she's like, and you're going to say this, this and that and you're going to talk to your manager and you're not going to go down without a fight. And if it wasn't for her, I think I probably would have got fired and I would have thought that it was my fault. But anyway, so going back to Latinx scan. So I I tried to find, you know, like the support of my community to figure out, you know, what kind of feedback, what was I doing wrong? And then I couldn't find anybody. But I knew that there were other Latin people that had PhDs, that had PhDs in chemistry, that were working in, in corporate America. So I was like, hey, like, how about we do a podcast? And then I told my my husband, who is also a PhD in chemistry, and I told him, hey, how about, like, we do a podcast and we talk to, like, our friends, you know, because we know that they've they've had challenges as well, and maybe we can talk to them about how they got to where they are, what opportunities they took uh, advantage of, and then what challenges have they faced and how have they surpassed those challenges? And that was the initial idea. And I think that was probably around May of 2019. Mm. And then I didn't do anything <laughs> for a year because <laughs> I only launched Latinx Can in June of 2020. And really the only reason why I essentially like took the courage and said, we're going to put these stories out there is because of the pandemic and seeing how privileged I was that I got to stay in my house, working from my computer, not having to um, go to work, not having like having the privilege of having my groceries delivered to my house because I had the money to pay for them. And then understanding how many people that were brown and black were disproportionately affected uh, by the pandemic, by being essential workers that had to put themselves out there. And I said, listen, like, we have to change this. Like, I know that we are a strong community and we're looking to really try to better ourselves. And so if anybody can listen to this and at least be inspired to keep trying, I think that's going to be worth it. And and that's really how I started it. And I love the name Latinx Can, que si podemos. Exacto, si se puede, my friends. <laughs> yeah, and I, I want to first acknowledge um, your experience in corporate America and your experience of feeling like, is it me? Do I have to mm-hmm. change? Do I have to be less opinionated? Do I have to be less, like all those mm-hmm. questions? I'll be surprised if I meet one Latino who hasn't asked themselves that question in the workplace. 
and has doubted mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they're the problem or has doubted that what they are and who they are is problematic in the workplace. Yeah. And so I want to acknowledge that your narrative is so important just because so many people have been through it. And I love yeah. like girlfriend, the fact that you were like, if I know what the solution is, I am not going to be calladita y bonita, mm-hmm. not saying anything. Yeah. I love that you said that yeah. because like, it's just so, it's just so empowering to hear Latina women say that. And I hope that mm. everyone who's listening, whether you're a Latina woman or you're not Latino at all, like, I hope that you can really channel that energy and know that you are not the problem and that Mm. These spaces say que quieren diversidad, que quieren someone that thinks differently, that comes from different places, and they say they want all of that. And then you're in the door and Mm. they get in callados. They don't like the way you say things. They don't Mm. like the way you think. They don't like the way you move in the space. And so I think there needs to be a bigger discussion around DNI. There needs to, it needs to start internally too. You can bring all this amazing talent in, but what are you doing to cultivate that talent internally? And so, oof, girl, I'm just like cringing. I'm so sorry you went through that. It, it was tough. I do think I cried a couple of days, especially like the first, like when I sat down and like my manager gave me all her feedback and I was like, um, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I cried. I think I cried first by myself. Then I had another white friend that um, I, I, I got pretty close to. She worked at the same company in the same program. And so I like asked her, I, I told her what was happening and she was very supportive. And she was also like, she was also pretty, um, people would say she probably, I, I didn't feel like way, but I, I would hear people say, oh, she's probably abrasive. And I was like, mm, I don't think she's abrasive. She's pretty assertive. And she has studied for six years this subject matter. So she, if she's confident saying something, she is probably knows what she's talking about, you know? And so um, I did have, thankfully, um, like I encountered a generation of women that were young uh, and also they, they actually believe in supporting each other. And so in that particular experience, there were two women, both white, and both of them were um, of the new school, I think, of women coming through the workplace in that we really have to put ourselves first. We really have to support each other. And it's us before the company every time. And they were amazing. They really were the support that I needed in that first part. And then the I think the biggest influence that ever, anybody made on me was this Black friend, a Black woman that was also a PhD scientist. She worked for 12 years, I think, at NASA and then joined our program. She got her PhD while working at NASA. And every time I heard her stories, I was like, I can't believe this. Like you sometimes like I never told her this because she would share stories with me, like how her managers at NASA didn't support her PhD. So she essentially needed to work her normal time at NASA during the day from eight to six, 
say. And then that night she did her PhD where everybody else I heard about when they do master's degrees and PhDs with work, they sort of integrate that. But they said that they wouldn't support her doing that. And I was like, like, I don't understand. And then she would like, we, we just were really lucky that we ended up in one of the rotations sitting right next to each other. And every t- every day we'll just sit down and do like cafecito and chisme and we would talk about what was happening. And she would tell me Love things. <laughs> and I would tell her, oh, you know, why don't you try this? I tried this with uh, Jessica. She was our manager and she was supportive. And then Monique, who is my black friend, she would say, oh, okay, I tried that. Jessica said no. And I was like, like, why? Like, she said yes to me. Why would she say no to you? Mm-hmm. It's the same, the same, you know, um, dynamic, I believe. And so I started seeing a lot of those things and then talking to, to Monique, who was super experienced wow. and had endured a lot more aggressions than I ever had in my life. Um, her support and her guidance really was key and she was the person who helped me through the entire time I eventually ended up quitting and and Monique helped me quit mm-hmm. she helped me prepare like how are how are you going to prepare for quitting like write a resignation letter send your resignation letter before you go into the meeting so that there's no way like there's a paper track that you were already there and I was like I didn't know any of these things, <laughs> you know, but but really those three women and then my wow. family, my husband were were the support that I needed to realize that that was essentially not the place for me and that I wasn't willing to compromise who I was for a company and that I was giving them a lot more than they were giving me. And so I said, well, this is going to be the end of this relationship and that's it. Oh, yes. <laughs> shout out to Monique. Shout out to you. Shout out to your family. I know how hard it is to quit. Mm. And I can't imagine what was going through your mind throughout that yeah. whole process about money, about security, because all yeah, those things all are normal. All those things will come up. But the fact that you chose yourself yeah. and you chose a healthier relationship yeah. with work, with life, I... I'm just so happy that you did that for yourself and happy that you had people, angelitos, right? Like your family and Monique that were there to be that support and that guide for you throughout that process. Because girl, no more, it's 2023, no more compromising who we are for anything. And like what you were saying, you know, these companies want you to be diverse and from all these different places. And then when you come to the workplace, they just want you to assimilate and um, my, I was like, no, yeah. I'm sorry. You know, our generations of Latin people in this com- in this country already had to do that. I haven't worked this hard in my life to have to come and compromise who I am. Like, no, I, I'd rather Oof. I'd rather work for a company that yes. doesn't care about diversity and inclusion than for a company that says to care and all they want is for us to assimilate. You know, especially with the things that are happening now in the world where there's layoffs Mm -hmm. happening left and right and there's articles coming out as, you know, saying that they are, they, by by they, I mean companies, companies are now starting to reverse that Mm DNI initiative. And I mean, the people who are getting laid off tend to look and come from the same places. I think they're starting to realize that it was all taught Mm -hmm. to 
<laughs> like these companies again, puro like my family says pura sí. paja, right? Like it was all BS. They were all mm-hmm. putting out these narratives because it was going to essentially bring them amazing mm-hmm. talent and then amazing talent comes in the door and there's just toxicity mm-hmm. and weird expectation on this community of folks that if you just give them the freedom and if you give them the space to create and do amazing work, man, they yeah, would do it. For sure. <laughs> right? I mean, I remember oh, from yeah, our yeah, conversation yeah. When, when you were talking about, you know, like you're creative and resourceful because of the background that you have, because of where you come from. And like, that's why they hire you. Then it's also like the whole thing comes in with the person that you hire, the creativity and the being more direct when you communicate with somebody. You know, those things are not mutually exclusive. One part doesn't stay mm-hmm. home. And then the other thing is that if I have to come in, because I understand we all have to adapt. I come into a new space and I can find a way where I can adapt. And we all have to find ways in which we can all work together. But it has to be adapting from everybody. It cannot just be adapting from your diverse talent. Because that, again, it's assimilation. I need to bold and highlight that because that's exactly what it is. If you're asking one group to assimilate versus the other group, you know, like we're, we're not being equitable yeah, in the workplace. Right. And it's, it's the same narrative that keeps happening. But I'm so happy that you left and that you are, hopefully, are you in a, a different company now? Are you in a different place now? Like yeah. tell me about the quitting to now. Yeah, so I will say um, the one thing that made it easier for me to quit was that I, uh, my husband had a job here in Houston, like in Brenham, so an hour away from where we live. And they had already offered me a job before we did our last rotation. And I didn't really want to work for that company because it's a, a very small fo- like family-owned company. <laughs> At the time, I said, you know, I'm very honored. Um I channeled my white Jenny, I suppose. <laughs> I was like, I'm very honored to that, that you think, uh, you know, you, that you want to have me in your company. But at this point, I really want to continue learning. And maybe in the future, there'll be an opportunity for us to work together. And so um, I did that. And then eventually, when, when we were coming to a point where I needed to decide if I wanted to quit or just continue in that company, that the first company, um, my husband said, you know, like told his boss, if, if you offer her something, she'll probably come work for you. But it was us working together, right? My husband knew that I was I needed to quit and I didn't want to stay in that company. So it was like a good backup plan that we had. And so um, I quit and then I, we came back to Houston and then started working with the company that he works for. And that was a family-owned company yeah. that only had 50 people. So um, all men, um, also a toxic environment, but um, people were, I, they were good people at the end. So every time I, you know, I put a stop or a limit to something that would happen, people would be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was happening. It won't happen again. I will make an effort. So like I, I know somebody one time, I was like doing some work in the kitchen, but I was actually working on a a project that we were doing and I just didn't have an oven in the lab. So there was an oven in the kitchen. So I took everything and I was using the oven in the kitchen and I'm sitting there and somebody comes in, this older guy, 
uh, and he said, oh, it's nice to see you working in the kitchen where you belong. And I was like, excuse me? Like, what? Wait. What? what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, no te creo, no te creo. Oh my God. And the thing is that I never oh, thought. I'm so sorry. I always thought this, those were like folktales, you know, that people would just, you know, those right. were things that happened in the 80s, right? But no, this was 2000 and 2021, <laughs> you know, and I was like, and then I didn't Santo. say anything at the moment, but then. He doubled down on a different day and then he came back and he's like oh that was pretty funny right like that joke i made about you working in the kitchen and i said Ay, santo. Oh <laughs> i my said God. no it was not funny Qué tonto. Yeah. <laughs> i don't belong in the kitchen i am the phd scientist that is doing the work and i did not think it was funny and he's like oh Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I was like, so, I mean, things like that happened. It wasn't also the ideal place where I wanted to work, but, you know, I made a, a sacrifice. I made a compromise and I said, um, I still need money. I still need to, you know, bring my salary into my, my household. I will work in this company for as long as I can with the intention of finding a job within, you know, a year and a half and two years after working here. And so... The pandemic happened, we yeah. were working, and then I I did, I think I did a good service. I provided good value. And then towards the end of 2021, I found another job. So I moved to another company. And um, But the people that hired me for that company, they were pissed. They were like, like the CEO of the company. I called him because I said, I want to be respectful. I know that you have been a supporter of me. I have got another job offer and I think I'm going to take it because they're offering me this, this and that. You know, I want to go into marketing and they're offering me that right. and it's more money and I'm going to work remotely. And so what can you do? And he's like, oh, okay, bye. So he hung up and I was like, okay, but Oh like, my God. You know, I think the one thing that I finally understood, or at least that I didn't know before, is that job relationships are two way relationships, right? You give me a salary for the yeah. work that I do and the value that I provide. And when you are not giving me anything more than I need, and when I, as long as I give you value back, I'm free to go wherever I feel appreciated and valued and where I can get more for the value that I bring. And I didn't know that because as an immigrant mm -hmm. and as an international student who had to beg for a job, I always thought that, you know, shut up, just get a job. Don't let them find out that you're an immigrant because then they might kick you out. But the one thing that I learned from that experience God. is that I bring value to the table and you are paying me for that value. As, so, as long as I give you that value back and you get something in return, I'm free to go wherever I want. Yes, you are, ma'am. And for everyone listening, you are too. And it's a, I think that's a hard lesson to learn, especially from what you're talking about. Like from an immigrant mm -hmm. perspective, from an international student perspective, I can't imagine how 
nervous and like scared you must feel to make mm-hmm. decisions that are a little yeah. riskier, mm-hmm. you know? But the fact that you did it and he chose you through all of it and realized, listen, if I'm pouring, it's like a relationship, right? It's like dating. If I'm pouring yeah. so much into this company, this work, and you're there, no me está recompensando mm-hmm. nada, like you're not giving me anything, why am I mm-hmm. still here? You know, and especially I think reminding yourself of your power and reminding yourself that you are so yeah. talented and that any company would yeah. be lucky to have you because you are the full yeah. package. You can move differently. Yeah. And it's scary in this economy and this world that we're living in. But uh, I think like you mentioned earlier, it's just not worth compromising who you are, your mental health, yeah. your sanity, your work, your just your life, your happiness. It's not yeah. worth it. For sure. And the other thing that I learned is that, which is also where Latinx can come in, is that one of the things I really, really liked about the the very first company I joined is that I got to do a lot of outreach. I got to help uh, young students trying to get a job. Um, I got to share whatever expertise I had about, you know, doing a poster session or going through an interview. And... Um, I don't have that. I didn't have that at the second job where it was kind of a compromise. The company I work for today is not really big. Um, they're thinking about DNI, but they're so far behind that um, the good thing, though, is that <laughs> my job is not my identity. You know, I do a job, but wherever I went to do outreach, wherever I went to, you know, help my community, I found another outlet that allows me to do that. So it doesn't come from work. And I know who I am Mm. outside of work, right? Work is just a part of who I am. It's not who I am. And I think that's also one of the things that I had to learn is that I am not the company. I am Janita Flores, and I'm going to continue being Janita Flores in whichever company, which then makes it easier to say, well, you're not paying me what I'm worth for in, in whatever different kinds of pace that there are and you're not valuing who I am. And so I think this relationship is no longer working and I'm going to go somewhere else where it does work. She said, I am Jenny De Flores, okay? <laughs> I, I want to I wanna bold and highlight a few things before we wrap up. I want to, again, shout out the women in, in your journey while you were transitioning out of the company you were surrounded by women who were maybe not Mm -hmm. Latina women, but were women who wanted you to be your fullest self and not to dim down your light. And as women, I feel like we need that in the community. We need more women supporting women, more women pushing women, more women being a Mm -hmm. protector of other women because it's so hard to navigate corporate spaces as a black woman, as a Latina woman, just as a woman in general, it is so hard to navigate that. So big love to the women in your life. And I hope that the women who are listening, that we can show up for one another in community. And I also want to bold this idea of, I think a big theme Mm -hmm. is effort that we were talking about. And one way to solve this diversity and inclusion issue is to lean into curiosity create space dance salsa go eat go hang out with uh, with your friends who are celebrating ramadan and understand where ramadan comes from and just be open and and love on other people love on other cultures and Mm -hmm. seek understanding and seek and just be 
be curious, yeah. be curious about what the other person is navigating their culture, their language, their accent. And the last thing I want to highlight is we need that confidence, right? We need to move in every space grounded in who and who we are grounded in our identity. The, the fact that you were like, I'm Jenny de Flores and I always will be, I'm not attached mm-hmm. to a company girl powerful and I want everyone to really walk into that power and step into that power and know you are not attached to anything Mm -hmm. else but yourself and be grounded in who you are be grounded in where you come from because that's Mm -hmm. that's you that's beautiful unique you that no one else can replicate so Janita thank you so much for this beautiful conversation for sharing your beautiful journey of being a world citizen, of being a, a badass Venezuelan Latina woman, and for being a, a Latina with a PhD, because shout out. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alalis. And no, you don't belong in the kitchen. <laughs> no, fuck no. <laughs> no, thank you so much. And I know, you know, everything that you said, um, that support is essentially what we need support for each other and i love what you said just be curious and understand be open to finding more learning more about the world around you and that would will take us further i dios mio what a beautiful conversation for sunday i want to close this with the brindis and i have not touched it because but i have my cafecito um, yeah, and I want to close the virtual brindis. <laughs> Jenny, did, what do you want to cheers to and get get as manifestar for nuestra comunidad latina? Yo quiero manifestar que nos apoyemos los unos a los otros. It's that idea of support, right? We want to, we need to, as, as Latinos, I 100% believe, and I see this every day, we need to support each other, you know, the black community has their own facts. You know, they have each other. They support each other. No, nobody's perfect, but they have a community where they have faced so many microaggressions, aggressions, major aggressions, you know, go through all these difficulties in life, and they know that they need to help each other to rise together. I think as Latinos, there's so much scarcity mentality with us mm-hmm. still, right? We think that... We are immigrants, we are a community of immigrants, and we think that there's only one seat at the table, and we cannot fall into that trap. I, it, there isn't one seat at the table only. Bring more chairs, fill the bigger table, bring your friends, but I think we all need to support each other. And it, it's not money, right? It's, most of the time, it's not money. It's like, if you see Olalis has a, a podcast, and she made a post on Instagram, share it, give it a like, you know, it's, it's as simple as just showing support. And I, that is the one thing that I want to manifest And my whole year is about mm. support. <laughs> amen, 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 amen. <laughs> Gracias, Jenny de Salud. And may we continue to support Salud. one another. And please go tune into Latinx Camp Podcast amazing amazing content amazing people even more amazing hosts shout out (laughs) thank you (laughs) tune into janita's podcast latinx can to hear more about our c-sip with the energy you can look up latinx can podcast wherever you stream 
and see y'all next week for more cafecito and chisme for all hella latino updates follow hella latino podcast on instagram you can also follow me on my personal instagram at ojasmine4as and find me on linkedin my website hellalatinopodcast.com has way more information if you're interested y con mucho amor tu amiga